Hi, this is Redeem. We give formerly incarcerated citizens the chance to share their stories, unadulterated, unashamed. This podcast is a partnership between criminal justice advocate Yasmin Barak and storyteller Matt Tekatala. Each episode offers a compassionate glimpse into the life of an American on a quest for redemption, along with the difficulties they face and the victories they celebrate. With each story, we learn more about the complicated nature of self-forgiveness and what it means to live in a just society. Today we speak with Elizabeth Ocampo. She's a Records and Reports Coordinator for Project Rebound, an intercollegiate support network for formerly incarcerated students. Elizabeth works at the San Francisco State University chapter. My name is Elizabeth Ocampo. I'm a mother of two beautiful girls. I just graduated from College of San Mateo Community College, and now I'm off to SFSU. Though Elizabeth has never been to prison, she did spend a substantial amount of her adolescence incarcerated in juvenile hall. I felt like very much the system gave up on me as a youth. Sorry, I get emotional every time I tell this. I've heard many say that education can't be taken away from you. But in my case, it was taken away from me at a very young age. I ended up incarcerated at the age of 13. I was a good student prior to that. Um, My K through seventh grade, I did good. I always was a good student. I just got involved with the wrong crowds. Seventh grade was the last grade I completed. I started eighth grade, but that's when I ran away from home. I was gone for months. I wasn't able to make my eighth grade graduation. I somehow still graduated. That time that I was gone, I actually ended up getting a scholarship to go to a private high school. I tried to get back on that path. I started high school at a private high school at Sacred Heart Prep in Atherton. And it was a complete culture shock for me because I was a completely different person now. Education was not exactly my priority no more because I didn't feel like People cared about me anymore. I kept going in and out of the juvenile hall at that time. And the first time I went back in after starting this high school, I had social workers get involved in my case. I had a CPS case opened with my parents. And from what I heard, the social workers were the ones that went to the school and made sure I got kicked out. So the people that were supposed to be caring for me are the same people that pushed me out, are the same people that didn't let me keep trying, that didn't want me to go down the right path. They actually wanted to see me fail. And ever since then, I decided that school was not the thing for me. I I dropped out. For the next two years, I was in and out of the juvenile hall. I was running away from home. And then the whole juvenile hall, like opened up these other doors to me. It introduced me to people who, if I wasn't in there, I wouldn't have kept getting in those problems. I wouldn't have kept hanging around with those crowds, but it's like they just kept putting me there. Instead of helping me get back in school, instead of helping me you know, find mental health counselors, instead of helping my parents out. Rather than setting her up for success as a promising student, the system kept Elizabeth in a cycle of incarceration. The adults who were supposed to advocate for her had given up on her. Elizabeth believed she kept running away because she often felt like an outsider growing up. By the time I started that school, I was one of six other 
colored students. Obviously, I was, I think, the darkest one as well. So um, I, I always say this. It was like a, I was an exotic animal among them. So it was never right for me. I only went there, I want to say, for a month, maybe six weeks. Started freshman year, ran away. It was just like the same things, you know, repeating. I officially got kicked out and I wanted to drop out of high school. I wanted to become an official high school dropout, but they wouldn't quite let me do that yet because I needed to follow probation rules. You know, one of the, the rules was to attend school or my parents could be charged with truancy. I just kept running away. I'm like, that's the only way I won't have to go to school if I'm not home. Whenever I would get caught, I would be forced to go back to school. Elizabeth's educational journey was interrupted many times, and the meager support provided for students in her situation wasn't enough to get her back on track. Again, in and out of juvenile hall. Then I ended up at Woodside High School, which is a traditional high school, but since I went in mid-year, they put me in these classes, uh, these support classes, where I wasn't, it wasn't a regular high school class. I was literally put in a classroom with other students who were either behind on their credits or same thing, came in mid-year or got kicked out of their class where we were just doing coursework on computers. We were not getting any instruction from a professor, from a teacher, anything like that. It was all day. I was literally sitting in that class just doing coursework online. The teacher, there was a teacher who supervised us, but she didn't help us with anything. She was so surprised on how fast I was flying through the courses. I was there for about a month and I think I was able to finish enough units for my freshman year there. Eventually, uh, again, I left. I didn't want to be there no more. And I believe this was around the same time that I got incarcerated the last time. My probation officer is like, I'm just fed up with you. I can't deal with you. You're always running away. Like, no wonder nobody can deal with you. And she decided to have me do my full term, um, which was six to seven months that I had left. I was kind of happy because I knew I was going to be off probation. (laughs) So I knew that once the term was over, I was done with the system. It it sucked because pretty much at that point, everybody had given up on me. She had given up on me. The school had given up on me. They never cared when I left. Unsurprisingly, school in juvenile hall wasn't any better. Although we had real teachers, you know, teaching us subjects, I felt like the material was always recycled. So every few months they would start off the lessons all over again. And I never felt like I learned anything new. We we weren't separated by age or by grade or nothing like that. So it was all the girls together, all the guys together. And it was literally boring. Like you're literally just redoing everything all over again. In the juvenile justice system, Elizabeth encountered a lot of the same neglect from staff and officers that were supposedly there to support her. At many points, she felt dehumanized. They really tried to make me seem like the worst of the worst. Like I said, I was was only 13. I went in there for a petty crime. But going in from that's what kept me in there. I eventually caught more cases and... Yeah, they, they, they just made me seem like a monster um, just by the people I associated myself with. I actually ended up hiding somebody in there. I had previously warned the staff at the juvenile hall, like if they keep putting me 
in with a specific person, something's gonna happen. And I felt like they almost did it on purpose. Like they almost wanted to see what I would do. It was unbelievable on, on how they paint people by knowing nothing about them. My probation officer, I felt like she never really cared about me. Best interests was not there. They definitely missed, you know, me being a good student, me being involved in leadership at school, you know, me being good in math, me being like responsible for my younger siblings. They never caught that part of me. They just caught, you know, gangbanging and the drugs and all that stuff. They caught the part I had become because of the system, not the person I was before the system. Whether it was dealing with the school system or the juvenile justice system, Elizabeth felt like she'd gotten the short end of the stick. So when it was time for her to continue her education after her stint at Juvenile Hall, Elizabeth decided that she'd had enough. She dropped out. I went and sat down with the school district. I told them that I wanted to drop out, and they let me. My dad was there with me. They had us sign some paperwork, and that was it. Never did they try to fight it try to convince me to change my mind, nothing like that. And again, I was a straight A student prior to this. I dropped out at the age of 15. I was off probation. You know, I felt like I was all grown up. My problems were put aside. So after dropping out, I decided to move out from my parents' house. I moved out for out of their home from the age of 15 till I was 18. I was working multiple minimum wage jobs not really doing much, just working and surviving. Once I seen that it was getting a little more difficult to actually get a better paying job without having a high school diploma or anything like that, which was the only requirement back then. Like I hadn't spoken to my mom for those three years I was gone. Not one time she was mad that I moved. She was mad, you know, of the life decisions I was taking. The only contact I had was my dad and my brothers. Then, I decided that I, I, I knew I needed to do something. I wanted to go into a trade school. I couldn't go without a high school diploma or a GD. I went in, took my GD, passed it with flying colors. I went to trade school halfway through after finishing half of the program. They wanted like another 15 grand because I didn't qualify for financial aid. Another 15 grand and there were gonna be like two different loans and I was like, decided to drop out. Again, I kept working. I, I kept working multiple jobs, that's, that's what I did. I was able to, you know, keep partying, <laughs> um, doing what I wanted. You know, I had multiple cars, so it, living financially was not a big problem for me. I was living day by day. I had enough money to get me through till my next paycheck, and that was enough for me. I, I never really thought about like long-term future until I ended up pregnant with my first daughter. And that was like my big wake-up call. The prospect of single motherhood, along with all the responsibilities and expenses that come with it, was daunting for Elizabeth. She realized that in order for her to provide for another human life, she needed more than a high school degree. I'm like, I, I really need to change my ways. I didn't feel like I was living as bad as I had chosen to live before, but I knew that I needed to change. Soon as I found out I was pregnant, I think I... I ended up getting another job and I worked two jobs with no days off until I had my maternity leave. I literally worked mornings at one job, 
went home and took a nap and then I would go to the next job and for like seven months straight I didn't have a day off because I knew I needed to prep myself financially even though I was back at my parents house my mom would not be the type of grandmother to raise my children so I after she was she was born in March in August I was already enrolled to go to college community college it was very difficult because I was working you know seven to four then I would go to class from six to 10. So I would only have that two hour gap to pretty much go pick her up from the babysitters, go home and have some lunch, dinner, and then go back off to class. I did that for about a year, but I felt like I wasn't really getting anywhere because I was only taking like two or three courses. Then I ended up pregnant with my second daughter and I was like, okay, something needs to change because this is taking too long. By the time she was born, I was really considering quitting my job that I had been for uh, for almost five years, but they kept convinced, like my boss kind of kept convincing me to stay, that they needed me. They didn't believe in me. They didn't believe that I was really gonna go off to college and, and actually finish. Because they knew my ways, they knew my past, they knew, you know, the stuff I was involved in and all that. So she was also born in March. So around July, I was like, I can't do this. I gave them my notice that I was quitting. I was like, this isn't gonna get me anywhere long-term. I can't be a store manager to a retail store for the rest of my life. August came and I, I enrolled myself at community college full-time. Elizabeth certainly had her hands full. Two babies, full-time student. Most people wouldn't have time for much else. But at the College of San Mateo, Elizabeth found community in an unexpected place. So I started going there full time and I actually, I think I started going with my little brother started attending as well. I started getting a little bit more comfortable. I was able to, you know, meet new people. Once my brother started there, he had also been incarcerated. Both my younger brothers had been incarcerated at the juvenile hall. They both were incarcerated at a very early age, I wanna say 12 or 13, but they both went on until they turned 18 into the system. So the system kept them in there until they aged out. He started attending the community college with me and he was always talking about all these programs that would help, you know, the youth that were incarcerated, this and that. And I was like, no, like I'm not trying to go back to my past. Like I don't want to share my story with other people. They didn't know my past and I felt like they didn't need to know my past. Like I was just going to be judged some more. I already felt like I was already overlooked and judged because of my appearance, because of my tattoos, because of my dark complexion. So one day he's like, hey, come with me to this meeting. They want people to share their stories about how it was in the juvenile hall and all this. And I was like, Danny, like, I don't want to. And he's like, come on, come on, you have, good, you have a good story. I'll sit in and listen, but I'm not gonna share. So I went into the meeting with him. I didn't even know we had this program at the college. The program was Project Change, which helps youth that are either in the juvenile hall or are previously incarcerated at the local juvenile hall in San Mateo. So I walk in. It's just like, I want to say four people, and it was just me and my brother. And they pretty much put the spotlight on me, and I was like, I, I, I slowly start opening up. I get very emotional because that was the first time I ever told anybody my story. But because of that, they decided to start 
offering courses at the local juvenile hall, college courses at the juvenile hall for free. Shortly after that, I started getting involved with Project Change. Through her work with Project Change, Elizabeth was able to convince both faculty members and incarcerated juveniles that system-involved youth can in fact become successful contributing members of society. I started going into the juvenile hall to talk to the youth that were currently incarcerated, pretty much share my experiences, share my path into college. I wanted them to see me as a role model and have them be able to see themselves in me in order to feel like they can do it as well. We started doing like a few workshops on campus for faculty on how to not just, I don't want to say deal with this population, but like how to understand the stuff they've been through um, versus having those negative biases of, you know, everybody's, you know, there for a violent offense. I was planning to start doing uh, tutoring at the boys camp through the San Mateo County, but it didn't fall through. But just seeing the youth at the juvenile hall every few times that I was able to go, I felt like it really did mean a lot to them. I mean, I, I really felt like they, they did see themselves in me. And then shortly after, I got connected with the Underground Scholars. Underground Scholars is a program that helps formerly incarcerated college students transfer from state schools to UCs. Elizabeth tells us why her work as a program ambassador was so meaningful. I felt like it, it was very important to have that program as well because myself, um, along with others that I've heard, a lot of us faced this problem where, where we would go talk to academic counselors. And we, whenever we told them we wanted to go to a UC, they always looked at us like it was impossible or it wasn't realistic and they always kind of pushed us towards a CSU. They never really believed in us to like move away from our family or be able to get into UC, finish the requirements for those schools. So Underground Scholars Program actually helps those students get into not specifically just UC Berkeley but other UCs and they make sure that you're ready, that you're on the right track. I wish they would have been a project change when I was incarcerated. I wish there would have been college courses when I was incarcerated. Elizabeth also wishes that there were similar programs aimed at assisting young women. I felt like a lot of people gave up on me as youth. And the woman, because I've seen a lot of like teen moms, you know, end up in the system. Not just in the system, but the whole lifestyle. It's like you kind of settle for it. Either your parents make you settle or your man makes you settle, your children make you settle, and it's like, those shouldn't be barriers for a woman. While Elizabeth is certainly passionate about helping formerly incarcerated youth, she has also been a vocal advocate for members of other marginalized groups. When I was actually at College of San Mateo, we, uh, me and a group of other students formed this group called Rise Up, and we, it was around the time where Trump uh, was getting elected. And we gathered a bunch of demands for our students that we thought were important for the undocumented students, for the LGBT, for the formerly incarcerated. We were having this problem where um, the district wanted to arm our public safety on campus. And that's how it all kind of started. And we're like, well, this is an issue for a lot of students, minorities, people of color. So we, you know, wrote up these demands and we were actually able to get them almost all met. 
we created a dream center on campus that we did not have for the dreamers and the undocumented. We were able to not get the public safety armed. Out of three campuses that are left at California Community Colleges, we're one of them that still doesn't have armed officers. According to them, almost all campuses have armed officers now. So it was a big accomplishment for us. It was, like I said, I was able to open a lot of doors, you know, on, on speaking up and acting for other students. We're, we're still working on, you know, the undocumented side because whenever we have guest speakers, you know, come on campus and, you know, they get paid, they always ask for a social security numbers. So we're still trying to see how we can bypass that whenever we do um, want to have undocumented speakers on campus. I'm hoping my criminal background doesn't stay much there because I mean I even though if it it does there's always somebody out there willing to support us in getting around it or they've experienced it already so they already know the process or they know you know who we can contact or what we can do like the network has grown so much. Outside of campus life however Elizabeth acknowledges that reintegrating back into her community post-incarceration has been a difficult process for her. I would say getting out of the system and being able to succeed uh, regardless of uh, your criminal background, regardless of your record, um, finding pretty much resources and being able to reinvent yourself and get back in society. For me, it took a while, it took years before I was able to get back on that track. While Elizabeth has in many ways succeeded with reentry, especially through her educational degrees and newfound support network, she still finds it difficult to apply to jobs due to her record. The whole thing that I'm having problems with now is that when I'm actually trying to apply for jobs, I come across, you know, that question, have you ever been convicted, you know, of a crime? Have you ever pled guilty? Although they're not supposed to be asking that in California anymore, I still come across it. And I, I recently came across it and it was a required question. And I'm like, but they're not allowed to ask this. You know, that's when I start questioning, like, does my juvenile record count? Does the infraction count? Like, what am I supposed to answer? Am I supposed to answer yes or no? Will it look bad if I answer no and they end up finding something? Like, they're not supposed to ask that question until after the person is considered. At the time of our interview, Elizabeth was considering a job at a different university, San Francisco State. She found out about the job through the Underground Scholars Network. She was having a busy summer, in the midst of applying to scholarships, while also dealing with many responsibilities at home. It's been a difficult summer for me because not only am I juggling, you know, trying to figure out what school I was going to go to last minute, notifying, you know, scholarships, where I'm going, making sure I'm still keeping those scholarships and they're not going anywhere. It's such a hassle, like I have to write so much and turn in so many things, but it's all going to be worth it. Like it's pretty much free money, like do it. And then just having to, you know, having my family obligations with my kids. And then I've always supported my parents with like, you know, translations, paperwork, you know, any problems they have with their houses. I'm the responsible one out of all of us, all the four of us, even though I'm not the oldest, everything kind of just always falls back on me. Despite all her responsibilities, Elizabeth still finds a little time for herself every day. What I like to do, I love to cook. <laughs> I started working out a lot, so I love working out. I started doing a lot of weight training, and eventually I started, I started running. 
which was super weird when I first started running because I used to run from the cops and I used to be able to get away. I started to get into hiking and all that stuff. I love doing that. Elizabeth has many passions and hobbies, but one thing is clear. Her kids mean more to her than anything else. In many ways, everything she has done in her life post-incarceration, the endless minimum wage jobs, the night schooling, the scholarship applications, the advocacy work, is so that her kids can have a better life and grow up in a more just world than she did. My kids are my most important thing. Without them, I, I don't know where I would be. I want them to be able to see all the opportunities they have on whatever they want to become, them to understand our communities and when one needs to improve. Like I know they're little, but they understand. My oldest is about to go into kindergarten and she doesn't want to speak Spanish. So I signed her up at a Spanish immersion school. <laughs> it's 90% Spanish all day, 10% English. So I definitely want to keep the culture going. I want them to know their roots. I want them to know their family. Becoming a mom has given Elizabeth a newfound appreciation for the sacrifices her own parents made for her and her brothers. My parents are my biggest role models because they came here as immigrants. And even though they weren't able to provide us, you know, the life they wanted to, I feel like they are very successful. I finally realized the sacrifices they had to give up in order to, you know, get us here. And it's like, this whole time I took my life and education for granted. Now I know, you know, why they did everything. And it's like, now I'm making sacrifices, you know, to get my kids ahead. But I still have the opportunity to do it. Elizabeth has a long road ahead when it comes to her education and her career, but she's hopeful. I know it takes time sometimes. Sometimes it, it, it frustrates me a little because I'm like, what are you doing? But I, I understand that it took me years to get to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm ready. And I struggle with that sometimes seeing my brother, my little brother go through his phases, but I'm like, take it one step at a time everything will kind of smooth right through. Elizabeth's optimism is fueled by her profound gratitude for all the opportunities she has had, opportunities she knows many of her friends still don't have access to. I've had, you know, friends die over the street gangs. I've had friends die over addiction. I've actually seen a few people who I considered friends then, you know, being homeless on the streets, addicted to drugs still, like... It's awful seeing that. It's awful thinking about people who I once knew either, you know, know that they're lost to the system or they're lost to the streets. I have friends that got deported and it's, I still have contact with some friends and, you know, they're like, you really did it. Like you really made it out. We weren't able to get out, but you were. And you're pretty much doing it for all of us. And that always like keeps me going because it makes me feel good. Like it hurts because I see that they wish they had that opportunity, but it makes me feel good because they're happy for me. Like they see themselves in me if they would have had the opportunity. That was Elizabeth Ocampo. She's a records and reports coordinator for Project Rebound at San Francisco State University. Thanks for listening to Redeem. 
We'll see you next time.